Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Big Questions with Big John. Of course, I am your host, Big John. And today's guest is someone that I have known, oh, I would say for at least two decades, going back two decades in the fantasy football industry. He is an OG Hall of Famer, Fantasy uh, Sports Writers Association Hall of Famer. Uh, his list of accomplishments is long and uh, extremely iconic. Uh, uh, I'll get to them in a second, but first, I can't wait to introduce my friend and longtime colleague, Mr. Greg Kellogg. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, it's 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 a pleasure. And uh, I promised everyone out there I'd give some lists. So I'm going to look over here for a second and say, Greg's resume includes being the producer for FoxSports.com, uh, the creator of the Ladies Fantasy Football League. Uh, which is was dedicated to provide uh, promoting the sport uh, to the ladies who might have otherwise been fantasy football widows, I assume. He was a partner of the original fantasyasylum.com. Of course, he was an OG sports grumblings uh, writer back in the day, the first incarnation of sportsgrumblings.com. He was our senior writer uh, specifically for football. He was uh, always a featured writer on Sports Illustrated. Uh, he was a partner with the Fantasy Sports Group. He he was a radio host among the first at FantasySharks.com uh, and I believe BlogTalkRadio.com. Let's put it this way. If, if, if there was something to be done in this industry, Greg has probably done it. And he probably did it first, ladies and gentlemen. Did I miss anything, Greg? Fanex. That would be the only thing. Fanex. Uh, the Fantasy Experts League. Uh, one of the first where, uh, uh, well, why don't we start out with that? Um what was Fanex and how did you come about it? Well, there, there, everybody used to go to news groups. News groups were like chat rooms, basically. Right. You didn't have graphics. You didn't have any of that. It was just chatting. And what I found was there were the people who ran websites and were after money. I mean, they wanted to make mm -hmm. money. They're a business. There's no problem with that. There were the people that I respected that I thought were very knowledgeable, but were not associated with any any uh, web groups or any, I mean, they were in the fantasy uh, right. football news group, but they really weren't with any websites. And then there were what I call the rock throwers. There were the people, um, like one of the original rock throwers was Mark Nolte. Mm. Now, I respect Mark tremendously, he had good knowledge, but he took every chance to slam the people that were trying to make money. And I thought to myself, couldn't we, kind of try to bring all these segments together in a 12-team league, four experts, four smart people, and four people that were rock throwers, and see who really knew right. you know, what best. So I approached one of the experts, Joe Bryant, and Joe and I kind of put the thing together. Um, and then later on, Fox Sports let me take that, that uh, concept to them. And that was really unusual. Now, I started off writing articles for anybody that would publish. Okay. Okay. I wasn't affiliated with any, but I was syndicated to probably two dozen different websites. Um, and so when Joe and I ran with that, Joe was, as you know, football guys, right, who later uh, merged with David Dodds. Um, I think David started out as Mr. Football but then they all became football guys. Right. Um, and a lot of the nice guys that were knowledgeable ended up becoming either 
their own website or a part of the a part of another website. Right. Um, so I mean, it was just at first it was just let's see what we can do. Well, to take it to Fox, we had to run it past lawyers mm. because Fox did not like linking their content to other websites. Of course not, but not back and, then, especially yeah. And one of my demands when we went to Fox is that every owner must write one article during the season. If they want to write more, that's fine, but they must write one. And we had a schedule. And what that did was that basically took the regular season. You'd get an article from a different fantasy perspective, sure, a different person. And we got the lawyers to sign off on it. I'm still kind of amazed that we were able <laughs> to do that. Yeah. But that basically then when we were at Fox, we turned it into two 12-team leagues, a, a regular draft and an auction draft. And then we added the FanX analysis draft, which was a preseason thing where we would get the experts together. They would do a, a mock draft right. and they would have to write analysis of why they chose that particular person. That was probably our most popular feature. Right. The and, fan. and you never played out the analysis draft, right? It wasn't. No, like we did not. It was just because right. it was preseason. And you know as well as I do, if you're going to do a live draft and you want the latest information, you do it a week before the season starts. Right. Because exactly. injuries can kill you if you got a first round pick that goes down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I was really surprised that FanX faded away. I mean, I left fantasy football for a couple of reasons. I was getting ready to retire in real life. And I knew that I was going overseas when I did. And Colin Kaepernick. Uh, I'm former military. I hate the kneeling. The kneeling is disrespectful to the military. It's disrespectful to the, to the country. Um, and I never thought he was that great of a quarterback. I mean, he had a lot of physical talent, physical attributes, but he couldn't read a defense to save his life. Well, which... I, yeah, I agree with you. I like, I think his, I, so we'll get to, we'll get to the politics of it, but with Kaepernick, especially, I think you had two things going on. One was the whole confusion about the kneeling. Um, I mean, um, I'm not as conservative as you are. I didn't necessarily view it as disrespectful, but then again, I wasn't in the military, so I don't have that sort of context. Um, but I do agree with you that a lot of people who are saying, well, he's been blackballed from the NFL specifically, and he was such a great quarterback. You're right. He wasn't. Um, he I wasn't don't think blackballed. He got two tryouts during well, that whole time frame. Right. He but didn't the make the team. I, Plus, look, he comes with baggage, and the yes. NFL is a business. I agree. And if I you're agree. gonna, if you're gonna, I don't know if I can say, it, if you're gonna piss off yeah, half of your customers, that's not a good business move. I don't disagree with you, and I think uh, Eric Reed as well, the safety, also um, uh, Baltimore. Uh, no, I no? think he was with Houston, and then Houston. with, and then with some other teams, uh, uh, Carolina at one point. I think okay. he may have been with the Niners, but. But he was another. I think he probably was with the Niners, which is the association with Kaepernick at some point. But he was another. He's another one who probably did have the skills to play. He should have been playing for someone, and because he was very steadfast in his beliefs, he he yeah, he was more trouble than he was worth. And I think a lot of people uh, who who are complaining about them being quote blackballed, whether they were or not, um, don't understand that you know, they've never run businesses, you know, they've never had to deal with public relations. And there's a lot of that going on, which, which I'll, I do want to talk to you about, because there's a lot of that going on. So in the I, I believe, ultimately, that Kaepernick had every right to do that. 
But fans had every right to decide we're not going to pay for season tickets if you're on this team. Agreed. And that's where I felt. That's just the way I came down on it. And Kaepernick actually made statements where he said that America is a racist country. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been to 34 countries. I've been to 46 states. And I'm here to tell you, America is the least racist country in the world. Here's a guy that was making multiple millions of dollars playing a game that, in my opinion, he wasn't great at. Um, again, great physical talent, but playing within a structure wasn't his strength. Um, and he's saying that he's a slave. And I think that belittles the actual people who were slaves. I really do. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand his language was certainly provocative, you know, but. Well, yeah, um, I mean, he was trying to make a point. He was. Yeah, exactly. He was trying to make a point. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I found the whole situation to be just so disconcerting to me. Um, like not 15 just, million. Yeah. He signed I, a, he signed a contract yeah. with Nike for $15 million after all. Yeah, good. look. And he's saying he's a slave, slave labor at fifteen million. Well, I, I I don't disagree with you, but you know there are those whole socialist and collectivist parties that think that as yeah, long but it, they don't give up their money, John. Oh, I they don't can disagree. They're socialists, but they don't give up their money. No, no, no. What I was going to say is that from the perspective that the way they view it is that if the worker isn't earning as much as the owner, then they're slaves because they well, think, then everybody's slaves because I'm telling you. No business in America pays the workers what the owners get. Oh, of course not. And 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 people who say or that anywhere sort of, in the world for that matter. Yeah, and and obviously, and and the people who say those things to me just indicate that they don't know anything about economics at all or, or how Absolutely. business works. So uh, that was your yeah. background, wasn't it? Economics? No, not 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 officially, but I've dedicated a lot of time of reading and and studying, and and uh, so I I touched on it very briefly in college, but uh, I, I'm just a data guy. I'm data analyst guy. So yeah. uh, that, but have, I like that segue. Let's go with that. Um, in the fantasy world, especially fantasy baseball, fantasy sports, there's two types of fantasy writers and fantasy analysts. Um, and one of the reasons why I think you worked so well with me at uh, Sports Grumblings when you were with us was I was clearly a data guy. I had computer algorithms, I had spreadsheets, I had data sets that I just manipulated and looked for little things and you know trends and whatnot. But it always impressed me that you were more, not that you didn't use stats, but you were more the guy who would see a game. And I remember you telling me once like, oh, look at Derek Mason, look at the way he cuts, look at the way he accelerates, look at his hands, you know, or, or my God, you see Barry Sanders bounce around the hole like that. You know, your analysis to me at least, seem to be based almost like from the perspective of a scout as or opposed a or a coach, as opposed to someone like me who approached it from a pure data driven analysis. Now, I always, I always thought there were three types of fantasy owners. Fair enough. There were the statisticians, you, mm -hmm. there were the people that were just super fans. These are the people that know more than every NFL coach ever. Okay. Um, now, and let me say this. Any NFL coach knows more about the interior of the game than any fan ever will. Right. That said, as a Detroit fan, why would you ever pull Barry Sanders off the field? Mm -hmm. Short yardage doesn't matter. Yeah, and why wouldn't you have a fullback in front of him? 
Bobby Ross put a fullback in front of him. He got 2,000 yards. Right. So, um, and then there were guys that I thought approached it from a scouting slash coaching standpoint because scheme matters to us. You know, I, I remember the cover two was brand new when we first started right, playing. Right, right, And And I, I kind of broke down what is cover two because the pro game is way different than the college game or the high school game. And right. my, my game was the high school game. I actually coached a couple of years of high school ball. But in high school, you know that no matter who you play, there's always going to be a breakdown in your play. Somebody right. is going to get beat every play. And so you, you scheme to prevent that. You double team at the point of attack. You run motions to get people to move so that you get people out. And if you're lucky enough to have an advanced high school team, you, you teach people how to read defenses, your quarterback especially. Right. And you set up plays that have reads. College, much more advanced, much less likely to have breakdowns on every play, but it happens often enough that you double team, you cross block. And if you look at their scheme, you can see what they're good at. And there used to be some really good TV shows that would go through the highlights of the games on on uh, Monday, I think it was. Right, right, right. You would see the, the Monday in review, and it would show all the games and show the highlights. And if you studied that, it was slow motion, usually. Mm -hmm. So you could actually see the blocking. Most people just look at the guy with the ball. They right. never look at the blocking. And, you know, I, I just think, Jesus Christ, what if Barry Sanders had had Dallas Cowboys offensive line? I mean, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'd still be talking about his records. Yeah. We really or, would. Or, or like you said, even simple stuff. Why are you taking him out at the goal line? Why are you taking him out on fourth and two? Why are you taking him out? Or do you don't have a fullback or, or an H back in front of him? Something. Yeah. And um, he was just such a big threat. Now, I know why Fonts took him out. He said it clearly. It's because Barry had more negative plays than any other back in football. Absolutely. But he had negative plays because, number one, you had a lousy line. They were getting to him in the backfield, and he's dancing around trying to make something out of nothing. Yeah. But there was not a back in the history of the NFL, maybe Eric Metcalf, um, that could turn a one-yard gain, you know, like a third and one, into a 50-yard gain. Oh yeah, no, he was electric. The 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 ability to stop, cut, jump, and accelerate was and amazing. take a hit and not yes. go down. He was built very low to the ground. He was almost yeah, like a he pinball. Was five nine and yeah. uh, two oh three. He was a small back. Yeah, he, he I wasn't mean, big. Emma Smith was a small back. I think Emma Smith was like five ten and two ten. Yeah, he but he was bigger a, he, than Barry, but not much. Yeah, but he wasn't a he was a different type of back. I think. Um, yes, he was. He and, was a hit the hole. Make yeah. one cut and, and go. go. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and actually he did play behind all those great Dallas Offensive lines. lines. Um, yeah, absolutely. And he had, he had Troy Aikman at quarterback. Yep. Who was, absolutely. He, he may not have been Marino-esque, but he was very accurate. Yeah. And he had really good wide receivers. So you couldn't focus on Emmett's a great back. I, I will never put Emmett Smith. I don't put down anybody that played at that level. Those, those guys are all tremendous athletes. And they take tremendous pounding. Oh, without a doubt. Like, um, actually, that's one of the articles that I started writing a while ago, and it's been kind of pinched. But um, it always used to be like at what number of um, what I would call wear and tear does a runner break down? It used to be 
300 carries per season. Yeah, it used to be 370 because I used to add up carries and, and targets because oh, I think receptions, yeah. Yeah, because you're, you're getting hit behind the line. It's not like you're going deep and you know you yeah. still have to fight your way through that traffic and linebackers and whatnot. And it used to be about 370. Well, where, I remember you did a, a I think a statistical analysis on I that did. and pointed out 370, but I looked at if you look at at carries 300 to 370. There's a market drop off oh, in that range. Yeah. And there's very few backs, even back then, that would go over 300 carries. You're absolutely right. And as a matter of fact, the last couple of years, uh, with an 80% confidence, you could lower that threshold to 325. Uh, oh, yeah. Where it was, as soon as you hit 325, I would tell all my readers the next season, downgrade those guys. They're going to drop 40%. But, That's all there but is to But you did have backs that would get the big carries, and the next year they would do just as well. Very few, believe it Barry, or not. Very few. Barry, Emmett, um, who else? Oh, Curtis Martin. Because they were good at avoiding the big hits. They, they were. Did hit, but they were good at avoiding the direct, I'm going to knock you on your ass hit. Yeah, they, they, they were very good at that. They also took care of their bodies. Like Emmett Smith, I know his routine was chiropractic. It was massages. It was like he took care of his body. Curtis Martin... I don't think he gets enough credit for being as great a back as he was. Thurman Thomas. Thurman Thomas, another one. Oh, which brings me to the Frank Gore just retired. Uh, oh, he, he's still playing? He literally just retired. He signed a one-day contract with the Niners. He retired. He ends up with exactly 16,000 rushing yards. So he's number three all time. Okay, so number one is Emmett? Emmett, followed by Walter Payton, then Frank then Gore. Gore passed... Barry, yeah, yeah. But anybody that passed Barry passed him because Barry didn't want to pass Peyton. Yeah, agreed. Nine agreed. years he he retired. He yeah. still could have played. Very. I Jim... mean, he retired what the year after two thousand four or the year? Yeah. No, he one reti- year after that. Yeah, he retired, and there was a thirty for thirty on why he retired. A lot of it had to do with the Lions management and all that. But um, uh, the thing uh, he was very Jim Brown like, right? Jim Brown only reti- played ten years, and he was the greatest of his era at that point, right? But yeah, um, what's here's an interesting question for you. So uh, Frank Gore to me, great back. There's people yeah. debating whether he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Did he go to Miami in college? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And here's the question. He does deserve the Hall of Fame. I think he does too, because longevity should be a factor, in my opinion. Should matter. But not um, only that, you can play 20 years, and if you don't do anything, you don't deserve the Hall. Ag- agreed. Gore had some really great years. He really did. And yeah. he did it without a lot of help. You're right. And he was a good all around back. So he wasn't one dimensional. And also, from a personal story uh, vantage, he overcame a lot of injury early in his career. And, yes, he did. and for him to then be such a workhorse in the NFL, like where he really was almost injury free his Last entire career. Last two years, he couldn't have carried the ball too much. No, not too much, but it was still when he was with the Jets and the Colts. Uh, these did he get 100 carries a, a year? Yeah, he did, believe it or not. Um, yeah. he, he wasn't as effective, but he was Mr. Dependable type of thing. And they always yeah. brought him on to mentor the next kid coming up because he, was, he seemed to be a good sport like that. Well, so I'll tell you one thing about Frank Gore. There probably weren't a lot of blitzers that got past him. He was a great blocker. blocker. Yeah, he was. He was a great blocker. And I've always said that's an underrated quality of running backs when they first hit the NFL. Like, and a lot of times, the reason they don't hit the field 
as much because they can't pick up because they can't pick up a blitz and they don't want to get their quarterback who's the number one monetary investment on almost every team if not every team uh you're going to get him killed if if you can't pick up the blitz so um and it's the hardest skill to learn that's in college you really don't have to do it much if you're a superstar running back right i i agree with you i agree with you all right so that was a little bit of a good call but a little bit of a good conversation there greg but let me let me reel it back a bit um where did you grow up <laughs> that's a funny question i told you i've been to 46 states right yes. i i didn't know the exact number but i know it's been a lot i was born in iowa in iowa okay and it, it, in northern iowa mason cities where i was born but we lived in charles city and then uh my dad was from charles city and my mom was from west virginia and i grew mm. in west virginia which is just outside of south Charleston which is just outside of the state capital, Charleston. So every two years, mom would pop out another kid. My Mm. sister's the oldest. She was born in West Virginia. After she was born, they had to take Pat to Iowa so that grandma and grandpa Kellogg could see Pat. So after I was born, we had to go back to West Virginia. (laughs) And then I have two small, two younger brothers, West Virginia and Iowa. And, (laughs) And then I think about first grade we moved to Lansing Michigan and they had um if you remember the race riots oh it was yeah. not pretty yeah. in the yeah. uh well mid to late 60s not really the 69 but maybe I was 12 in 67 in November of 67 so in that time frame they were having riots so dad decided to get us out of Lansing and we moved to a little town called Ovid Michigan 1200 people too small to have its own high school. Ovid and Elsie, Michigan, Elsie's 900 people, form Ovid Elsie High School. And I played football, and I played basketball, I ran track, I played one year of baseball. And uh, so I went, I grew up all the way through there. And then I went to college at Michigan Tech, which was the most ignorant thing I've ever done in my life. Um, Why is that? See my hands? Yeah. Okay, that's Michigan. Okay. Lower Peninsula, Upper Peninsula. Northern Michigan, right in this area, right where the crook is. Yeah. Michigan Tech, way up here, 100 miles north of Northern Michigan. So basically Canada. Uh, <laughs> colder than some part. Windsor, uh, Ontario is south of us by about four. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically cold. But the worst part was it's an engineering school where nobody really wants to go. It's a good school, had great hockey. We had national championship hockey team the oh, year I was in. Okay. So, I mean, that's national championship NCAA. Um, our basketball and football, they were good for a small school, but they weren't great. Um, but I went there because I went to a basketball camp in Northern Michigan, and I met a girl from Iron Mountain, which is up near Michigan Tech, and she was going to Michigan Tech. And I thought we were going to get together. Well, there's 10 guys for every girl at Michigan Tech. Uh, I can imagine. So I got up there. I wasn't studying. I was drinking a lot of beer. I gained about 40 pounds drinking beer in three months. Um, and so when I went out for the basketball team, I was the last guy caught, but I was not scholarship. I will say my intramural team beat the freshman team in the intramurals in the oh, play. Okay. That's so good. I, 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 do you play ball, basketball? I used to. Okay, so when I say unconscious, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
I had one of those games. Oh, 40 points everything against, went in. <laughs> against the freshman team. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. and then after the fall semester, my second year, I quit and moved to Southern California with my best friend <laughs> in high school. And so I'm in Southern California and now, did you graduate from Michigan Tech? No, year and a half, and I was on academic probation. Oh. You have to go to class to graduate, John. <laughs> okay, fair I was enough. drinking. I wasn't going to class. Okay. And and so the girl I dated my senior year in high school is Janie, the girl I married. Oh, okay. So, But when I went to college, I broke up with her because I was going there to meet a girl. Mm. Um, but every time I'd come home, I'd take her out. She'd have a boyfriend. She'd go with me. So when I moved to California, she's a junior in high school. And so I, I basically asked her dad uh, if I could marry because wow. we we're out in California and she's way in Michigan. And, you know, back then you didn't have cell phones. Mm. And when you made a long distance call, it was a expensive. Money, yeah. And when you made a long distance collect call, it was really expensive. <laughs> we were ringing up $300 phone bills on her parents and on mine. And so I called and he surprisingly said, yes, okay. Hmm. So I quit my job in California, got a job at the mailman. It was a men's clothing store in Lansing, Michigan. Okay. Back, wanted to get married. And then he says, after she graduates. Now, Janie and I, we'd been good boys and girls. No hanky-panky. I mean, okay. we just made out, but yeah. no sense. As soon as he said, you got to wait a year, Janie became friendly. Mm -hmm. And Greg was a little brat boy that's going to say yes to anything. Right. And so we thought she might be pregnant. So I joined the Army because mm -hmm. I needed to make sure if she was, she had um, health care. Right. And sure enough, I came home in the middle of basic training because it was Christmas break. And our drill sergeant said, you can stay here. But if you do, we have to. And if we have to, we're going to make life miserable for you, where you can take advanced leave and go home for two weeks. Okay. So I took it like any sane person. I took advanced leave, sure. went home for two weeks. By that time, we knew she was pregnant. So we got married. Okay. Now, just so people know, she's a saint. Anything that's been bad in our life has been me, not her. Okay. Um, 45 years we've been married. I was I, going to say, that's remarkable, Greg. How old was Janie when you two got married? She was 14 on her first date. On your first date, but by the time she you got married. She was 17 when we got married. Okay, so when you look at it now, as you said, 45 years, you guys have been together, happily yeah, married. It, it's an amazing story simply because she's 28. We've been married longer than she's been alive. She turned 28 in 87 and she never aged. <laughs> like most women right i got a trophy uh, bride baby i got a nice trophy bride. but no she is she is the but best it is, thing but i has, would i have to tell you greg though um and i don't mean to interrupt you because i know no. what you mean i know what she means to you and, and and i do know that you have a wonderful family you have wonderful children um but I have Man, to tell you, kids are kind of, <laughs> nah, they're, you're just, they're, you're just they're joking. Great. I know that. But but honestly, the odds of two kids getting married that young. I was uh, 21. She was 17. Yeah. And then being beset by you going to the army and, and this and that. But we had and she had to go to Germany 
carrying a newborn and eight months pregnant I can't by herself because I, I was already there. She flew into Frankfurt. I had to go up on a train, pick her up, and bring her down to Augsburg. Um, no, she's an amazing woman. And John, we had good examples. My parents mm. were married over 50 years. They were married when my dad died, and my mom didn't remarry. She she stayed around. Right. Janie's parents were married over 50 years. They were married when her dad died, and then my mom died in uh, November of 20. Oh, geez, 2019 or 2018. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. But her mom died two months later. Oh, wow. Um, in, yeah. in January. COVID. Well, her mom had stage three cancer. So she didn't have long to live. But she went into the hospital and the uh, chemotherapy knocked out any immunity. And then uh, she yeah. got COVID. And she got COVID probably in the yeah. hospital, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, what we figured. Yeah. But amazing that you're still together i'm still at all that 45 years it's not just the 45 years uh because my parents were married for almost 50 years my my in-laws were married over 50 years so you got good examples yeah yeah well i think it's also how you yes i agree with that 100 percent. and uh and and i'm sure you guys are have set great examples for your children too as well so they know they well, know what's up right middle daughter's been married three times my oh, youngest no. daughter's never been married. Okay. And my oldest daughter is just got married a year ago. So okay. So the, but but I mean, okay. I don't know about the, the middle daughter, what you just said, but okay. Well uh, she um she came out as gay. Oh, okay. So her first husband gave her two boys, and he was a little bit verbally abusive. Um, and I don't want any of my kids to be abused by anybody anyway. The second husband, um, he he was a Georgia boy. He was a racist. And my kids, my wife's Mexican-American. We don't tolerate racism. We just mm. don't because it's stupid. Right. I mean, it really is. Um, and, and so her last husband, she still loves, they still have a great relationship, but she's gay. She's with a girl now. And, you know, that's not good for a marriage. <laughs> so, oh, of course so. not. Yeah. But she's actually in Thailand now. Janie hmm. and I went to Thailand when we retired for 16 months. Great time. Great food. Outstanding oh, food. I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, you have no idea till you're there because I've been to France. I've been to Germany. been to the Netherlands, Belgium, uh, Philippines, Ecuador. I've had some great food in my life, but nothing comes close to Thailand. And, and so we loved it there. We were there 16 months because of COVID. It mm. was originally 12 months and then go somewhere in Central America for 12 months and then South America for 12 months and then decide right. where we want to go. And uh, that's one reason I got out of fantasies because I knew I was going to be on the road a lot. Um, but I got to tell you, we loved it so much. Each of my kids came over to spend some time with us. Um, we, while we were there, every two months we had to leave the country because we were on tourist visa, right? Okay. Which is good for at that time thirty days, and you could extend it for thirty. Now it's sixty days and you extend it for sixty, same okay. price. Um, so we went to Nepal, we went to Kathmandu in Nepal, we went to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, mm. we went to Yangon, which used to be Burma, but it's Myanmar now. Yep, Myanmar, yep. Phnom Penh in Cambodia. And now I'm Vietnam era age. Hmm. They stopped the draft my junior year. And the last draft, my number was 17. Hmm. 
Oh, you would have so, gone, in other words. I yeah. would have gone, right. Yeah. Um, but they were still in Vietnam for a little while longer, but there was no draft. And so bottom line is we went to what's called China Beach by the Vietnam era vets. Right. It's a town called Da Nang. And man, John, everywhere we went, there's something different to see. Right. Thailand well, is a Buddhist country. Yes. So you see Buddhists, but have you ever heard of a three-headed elephant? No, I haven't. Well, they have three-headed, just Google three-headed elephant Thailand, and you'll see these huge statues of three-headed elephants, oh, okay. part of their religion. So it's it's amazing. Yeah, I you know, it, it always strikes me as uh, strange how much Americans think generally that they're the be-all and end-all, but when you talk to most of us, you find how we've never been anywhere. Uh, for the most, most part, people haven't left their state. That's what I'm saying. Even within yeah. our country, people haven't traveled. Like, not that I'm proud of it, but I haven't, for example, I've never been to California. You would think I would with all my business interests. And been there, you don't need to go. I don't need to go there, <laughs> but, you know, but like, you know, I've been around a little bit. I've been out of country a little bit, nowhere near to the extent that you've been. Um, now, how long were you in the military? Uh, 10 years. I was a Russian linguist in the army. Ah, were you an interrogator? No, I actually, they did have interrogators. Those were 90, 98 Bravos. I was a 98 Charlie. I was a, 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 what they call an intelligence analyst. Okay. So the way it works is you got operators, 98 Bravo. They, they listen. Uh, interrogators, I think are 96 Bravos, but I don't remember. That's the right. MOS nomenclature. Um, but what would happen is an operator would listen to something and they would translate and then it would come to my desk. I'd look at it and say, does this make sense historically or not? If I didn't think it made sense, I'd put on the headphones, listen. And then I would, I would, if I disagreed with the translation, I would bring it to what we call our transcribers. These were the operators that were super good. And I learned really quickly that if I disagreed with the translator, I was, I'm not translating. Well, yeah, the, if I disagreed with the transcriber, I was wrong every time, every time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I only spent uh, 10 years. I spent four years in Augsburg, Germany, of which I think we lived in Munich, Germany for a year and commuted. Um, and then because I could get housing in Munich because they were closing it down. Okay. So they had a big military base with housing and they had no people to put in it because there was really only one unit left in in okay. Munich. Um, and then I spent four years at the Puzzle Palace, the National Security Agency. Okay. Um, I used to hate Eric Snow because I thought he was a traitor to the country because he released things. Now, I think he did the country a favor. Now, I don't like the way he did it. And I don't like the fact that he ran to Russia, who's in my mind, the big enemy. Um, but they were running secret things at the NSA that they shouldn't have been. They were spying on Americans. Yeah. That I needed to come out. Yeah. That and that's why a lot of people do view him as a hero. I know there's controversy, but did you, just to finish up, did you know Russian before entering the army? Or no, did I you went learn? to a school in California. That oh, was okay. my first trip to California. It was, uh, no, second trip. First one was when I went with my best friend for about a year. And that was Southern California. Russian school was Presidio of Monterey still. Okay. And we started with 96 people and finished with 32. 
that's how many people failed out. It's it's eight it's hours a day. Yeah. Well, it's not immersive because they don't force you to speak it. Okay. Um, but it's eight hours a day, and it's it's very difficult. And I tell you, different between the services. Services have inter-service rivalries. Yes. Marines hate the Navy because they're part of the Navy. Right. Um, Army hates everybody, <laughs> especially Zoomies, the Air Force, because their idea of close combat is at 30,000 feet. feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yeah. And so there's always these rivalries. Well, the Marine Corps, my dad was a Marine, so I've got respect for him, but we still have you know, a very strong competitiveness. If we got a 70 or lower on a test, we were done. I mean, there's no second try. There's no makeup test. You're done. They send you out. You're not going to cut it. And if a Marine got an 80 or below, they were done. Wow. All six Marines that started with us finished. Every one of them. So, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for those. It's funny. My first job on Wall Street, my first manager, was an ex-Green Beret battlefield interrogator. Ah, what language? Everything. That was the irony. He told me he spoke every language that he could possibly run into in Vietnam. So he spoke Chinese, Chinese, uh, three or four dialects of Chinese, uh, Japanese, Russian, uh, Cuban. How many Cubans there were there? I think he, at some point when he first took the course. Well, that's just Spanish, though. So it's Spanish. He learned that for himself. Right. And then the irony of it all is um, he was Italian uh, by birth. So he spoke Italian, too. No, he didn't. That was the oh, irony he... of it. He, he would always say, he, and he never called me John. In three years, he never referred to me as John. It was always Mr. Jojopoulos, you know. And he would always say, Mr. Tijopoulos, you know the irony of my training? Uh, no, Joe. What, but that's a Greek name, though, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm Greek, yeah. Uh, he says, I can speak, I think he said at the time, I could be wrong, 26 different languages. He goes, but I can't speak to my grandmother in her own language. Oh, and that's sad. How's that for irony? You know, that's like, sad. Uh, that's what that but is. But he was a little guy, and he was super, like, to your point, um, he was a stone-cold killer. Like every so often we had a corporate gym. He found out I was a wrestler in, in high school and he would take it whenever you're ready, let's go spar. Yeah, you lost everyone. Didn't oh, you? he killed me. And he was yeah. half my size. <laughs> he was toying with me. You know, it, it was one of those like movies he, where he says I could kill you using my thumb only or something like that. You said he was Green Beret? Yeah. Okay. So do you know what SOCOM is? Uh no. Special Operations Command. Okay. That's your Navy SEALs, your Green Berets, um, Delta Force. That's, Delta Force is right, right. Yeah. There's, you think the military has rivalries. Those guys. <laughs> absolutely. And i tell you, the difference between American military and in a current military, I've been out since 87. Okay. So things have changed. There's a lot more politics at the upper levels of the military now than there used to be used to be that the military was about, you got a mission, you accomplish a mission, period. Right. We didn't play games. We didn't have any wokeism or any of that crap. Right. Um, now they do. Um, so, but the military, the camaraderie is amazing, for one thing. You know, I don't care when you serve, you're my brother or sister. Right. Um, it's, it's just... 
uh, it, it's hard to explain. Athletic athletic teams are very similar, but not as tight. Of course. Because you're always going to have some fractions on the athletic teams. Mm-hmm. If you don't like somebody in the military, it doesn't matter. You'll put your life on the line for that person. Um, I just saw Top Gun. I thought, this is going to suck. I mean, how old is Tom Cruise? Oh, he's got to be in his 50s. Yeah, yeah, 50, 60, yeah. And and he's he's playing a fighter pilot? No, (laughs) that's not going to work. That was an excellent movie. Oh, you liked it. Oh, it was wonderful. It was very good. It was very believable. And it played the interpersonal uh, rivalries. If you remember the first Top Gun, Mm -hmm. Goose was was Maverick's... uh, Wingman. No, no, he was his. Oh, the, his, the co-pilot, yeah. Well, the the uh, weapons, weapons okay. officer. Um, and um, he died when they, Tom Cruise put flight, the plane into what's called a flat spin that they couldn't get out. So they ejected and Goose hit the canopy. That was a mechanical fault. The canopy should have been blown far away. Um, and he died. Well, his son is in this, and his son, and Maverick apparently pulled his son's paperwork um, from the Naval Academy, so it cost him four years, he had to reapply four years later. Well, he did it because his mom, um, Goose's son, his, his call sign is Rooster, had asked Maverick to keep him out of the military because she didn't want to lose her son the way she lost her husband, um, and that was... It it came out, but Rooster was never told. Mm. Uh, it's a great movie. I'm not going right. to give away the ending. Or I was anything. going to say, should I be saying spoiler alerts right about now? No, I think everybody <laughs> should go see it. That's the okay. spoiler alert. Okay, excellent. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, okay, so let me ask you this: so you you've retired from fantasy football or fantasy sports, I should say. I've retired from work too, <laughs> and from work too. Yeah, you're you're enjoying life right now, hopefully. Um, but I just wanted to touch on some things like you were one of the first people that I remember um, who who decided that fantasy sports might be a career in the mid 90s, say. Uh, and I know maybe for this generation, it's hard to understand that when we started out, it was very much an entrepreneurial thing. We didn't know that this thing would explode. We didn't know that people would be necessarily turning this into a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, what was it like for you to go out to Fox Sports uh, full-time? At the time, I believe you moved your family out to California, right? To go to Fox from Sports. Georgia, yeah. From Georgia. Uh, tell me about that experience. And do you regret it? Do you think it was necessary? Did you enjoy it? Well, I mean, if you have a job that you smile before you go to work every day, you're not going to regret it. Okay. Um, I, I actually loved working at Fox. I hated the way it ended. Um, mm. When we started, when we got out there, um, I told them what they needed to do to make money. I mean, they had this huge mailing list, set up a newsletter for five bucks. People will pay five bucks to get a newsletter, right. you know, make it 20 bucks for the full season if you want, but they could have made money. They could have and set up leagues. They ended up working with uh, a league development company and mm. setting up leagues, but right. they never marketed it right. Um, and they only lasted a year because they told us all we're interested in are clicks. 
We're not worried about money. Well, you know, business, everything runs on money. Right. Um, I think I was convinced it could be a business, a, a full-time business by Fantasy Insights, um, mm. Jim Lins and James yeah. Sarah. Yeah, I remember them. And football guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when CBS Sportsline got involved, that's when I knew. Because right. you're talking about a major TV. Now, the mistake that Fox made is they never hooked their TV personalities up with their fantasy games. We never even got to see those guys, much less meet them. Right. You to develop synergy, you got to do things together right. that peak interest. And like I said, I think two years after they closed down their fantasy sports shop, they brought it back, just different people. Right. Um, but by then, I had already gone up to Edwards Air Force Base and started defense contract. Now you asked me if I regret it. I went from Georgia to California. They paid for the move. Okay. We did a U-Haul move, so we did all the work. But they paid for the U-Haul truck. They gave me, I think, five thousand or ten thousand to move, and we got set up there. I bought a house up there, um, and my salary went from mid twenties to forty. Okay, so that's a big jump in a sure. salary. Yes, especially when you're going from defense contracting to writing about fantasy sports. Right. So we uh, we got out there after year. Uh, well, after six months, they closed down the New York office because we had two offices, New York right. and, and California. And, uh, you know, about three months before the job went away, they told us we're not we're going to close it all down. You don't have to come to work, but we're going to pay you for three months. Now, that's pretty cool. So sure. it gave me three months to find a job. So I went out to Edwards Air Force Base and they couldn't give me a pay raise, but they gave me a lateral. So basically for a year of working a job that I loved, I, I basically improved my salary 40%. That's great. That, that's a big jump when sure. you're thinking long-term. And then um, because I had had a top secret clearance before I went, since it was only a year, it was still good. Mm. Now they had to do a, a reinvestigation, but they didn't have to do the complete background check. Right, right. If it had been two years, I'd had to get a whole new clearance. Right. So no, I don't, I don't regret it at all. And then when we decided to get closer to my parents and move to Port Aransas, well, we moved to Rancis Pass. My mom and dad were in Port Aransas. But they're Port Aransas is on a barrier island. You take a ferry across to it. It's right, right. five minutes away. So and that's in Texas for people who don't. It know, is right? in Texas, it's yeah. In Texas, South yeah. Texas, South near Texas, Corpus yeah. Christi. And I sold my house in California. Well, for three straight years, it had gone up 20 to 40% in value. Oh, yeah. The real estate market so, must have been crazy back then. Well, they were flipping. Everybody was yeah. flipping houses. So I basically sold my house at the perfect time mm. because I, I took a $170,000 house. It sold it for, I want to say, 480. Wow. So what it allowed me to do was pay for a full service move to Texas pay off what I still own on the house in California and pay cash for my house in Texas. Right. So all of a sudden now I'm 40 years old with no mortgage. Right. And my salary was now, you know, of 50, between 50 and 60,000. And I just found a job uh, with a Canadian company, OpenText, and they matched it. And 
before I retired, I was making six figures doing something that when I started was 20,000 a year. Right. And that's all because of fantasy football. <laughs> it's not because of my knowledge, because right. jobs are right place, right time. Sure. Knowledge, you have to have knowledge. More importantly, you have to have the ability to learn. Yeah. And, and the opportunity. And, Let's be honest. You need an opportunity as well. Well, but if you have a top secret clearance, you're going to get opportunity. Yes. Yes. In your now, case, when yes. I went to work in Texas, they didn't use my clearance. So it went away. So going back into defense contracting would have been hard. But I was working for a company called OpenDex that does content management mm -hmm. for probably three quarters of the Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did work for Abbott Labs. My last six months was Suncor, which is a Canadian oil and gas company. Right, right, right. Uh, um, so how can you regret a job that you loved going to every day and basically changed my life forever? Well, that's the proper way of looking at it, excuse me, in my opinion, because I know a lot of people would say, oh, my goodness, you had that dream job and you lost it. They shut it down on you or they weren't they mismanaged it. But I think you have the right you have the right outlook, man. You're not you're not focusing on the negative aspect of it. You're, you're focusing on the positive, which is, well, it, you know, it gave you these without getting religious. God puts you where you need to be, whether okay. you choose to take the opportunities, make the right decisions. That's on you. Right. Uh, God has blessed me my whole life. I mean, gave me Janie, for Christ's sake. I can't ask for more that. I could have been broke my whole life. The fact that she stayed with me for 45 right. years, gave me three wonderful kids. I've, I've lived a blessed life. I really have. You can't convince me there's no God because otherwise, how did all these blessings rain down on me? It's certainly not deserved. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'd agree with you that it's undeserved, but but certainly I, I you could see that you're you're you know, I'm not talking to someone who's full of regret, who's full of angst and who's, you know, I'm I'm talking to someone who who enjoys his life and has enjoyed his life and is looking forward to the rest of his life, which is Well, my mom and dad were my mom had a master's degree eventually. My dad had a bachelor's degree. They were smart. They weren't genius level, but they were smart. So I got my smarts from them. Mm -hmm. And I've always been able to learn quickly. Um, it's how I got big in fantasy football so fast. And the reason I made the Hall of Fame and other people that I thought were more deserving didn't that first year is because my goal was always to grow the industry. My goal was always not to aggrandize myself, but to make it available to other people because I always saw the long-term um, possibilities, right. but those only come to fruition if the people enjoy the game. And it's good to see that you know, 20, 30 years later, people still do. Now, let me ask you, since you touched on it, let me ask you, <clears throat> I've always contended that with rare exception, and I always cite you as one of those rare exceptions, the, the the fantasy industry is a horrible industry. Um, people tend to be cutthroat. They'll stab people in the back. Um, and it's always some. looking some I'm saying not everybody, but in my experience, the the good characters are few and far between. See, and now my my impression, I'm gonna take exception with that, John. Okay. Because people like you, you have never done anything to harm me, ever. You gave me a place to write when, you know, you even paid me, I think. And a lot of times I was giving my articles away for free. I didn't care. I just wanted them out there. Right. I right. wanted people to read me. 
respect was always more important to me sure. than financial gain. When I was writing for magazines, that's good. What $150 an article for a national magazine? Right. You know, Emil Cadillac, one of my best friends in fantasy. Good guy. Always treated me well. Whenever I had questions that I didn't understand about the industry, Bob Harris. I could mm-hmm. I could call Bob, I could send him an email, always picked up, always answered. Um, there were people I didn't like in fantasy football, but that was a personality thing. And I wasn't running a business, so I never had that comp- competition. Um, Joe Bryant, David Dodds, very cutthroat business people, very cutthroat, but they ran a great site and they were good to the people that worked for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that anytime you're in business, there's going to be a certain level of competitiveness. Sure. You just don't take it personally because it's just the way it is. And I never knew anybody in the industry to try to close down a site to lie about the site or to try. Now I have known people that would try to steal writers. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I mean, what industry have you been in where the superstars don't get courted? Oh, absolutely. People are going to get poached. I was referring more to the, um, and maybe not so much about individual writers as maybe you said business owners um, or, or, or like Joe Bryant, since we brought him up, um, he he used to syndicate his content to me initially when he was still building yep. his reputation. Um, after that, wouldn't take a call from me. I'm not even saying try to do a deal, you know. Now, do I hate him or have uh, dislike for him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's competition. Though, it's competition. You, you ran too. a business, he ran a business. Absolutely. That's competition. Um, what, I, what I would not like is if somebody said, started spreading rumors you know, this John Georgopoulos, he doesn't pay his writers. He says he's going to, but he doesn't. Where this John Georgopoulos, he 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 lies to people. Right. See, to me, the biggest form of disrespect is lying to someone. Oh, it, it destroys their integrity. It's well, just, it's hard. It, it's disrespectful. They, yes. they don't think enough about you to tell you the truth. I don't even like white lies. Mm. I, I think that, you know, you can have a difference of opinion. I mean, that's America. That's sure. free speech. You can have a difference of opinion. I hate Joe Biden as a president. I hate Joe Biden's morals. I think sniffing children is not a good thing. But that doesn't mean I want him killed. Right. You know, I, um, I just think that most of the writers were, had a lot of camaraderie. We'd go to those fantasy football conventions. Sure. Everybody got along. Yeah, everybody. Yes. For the most part, you're right. Everybody got along. And I think it was, I, and maybe I should have said the difference between owners and the guys trying to make the big time and the actual writers. I don't, with one exception, I'm not even going to name the person, but yeah, with one exception, uh, every writer I've ever come into contact with, either whether they were working for me or whether I was working for somebody else's site at the time, um, everybody was very respectful. I think it was always when you were dealing with certain um, certain personalities because they were trying to get the big contract. They were trying you know, to, and there can be personality differences. Sure, and there can be competitive differences. I don't care if let's go back to Joe because I like Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care if Joe says football guys is the greatest site ever. If you go to anything else, you're stupid. Right, that's business. Of course, it is. He can believe that, but. 
there are good writers on every site, okay? And there are people, I don't care how good a writer you are, it's fantasy sports. You're going to be wrong yes. at least 40% of the time. Right, right. People people think that, you know, to be great at fantasy sports, you got to be right all the time. You can't be right all the time. Nobody can um, because you're guessing. You're literally, I mean, you're using analysis. You may be using statistical mm-hmm. models. You can get the smartest computer in the world to crunch all the numbers. It's going to be wrong 40% of the time. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. Because even the, the best gamblers, people don't realize this. To break even, if you're a sports better, you have to, to break even, you have to win 52% of the time. Because the house is going to take Because you always have a VIG, right? But yeah. And if you're considered one of the greatest handicappers, you're hitting 60 62%. And you're considered but top of the line. That you're... 38, 40% wrong. <laughs> right, exactly. That was my point. I, I ended up at your 40% wrong number. Uh, but yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And I think people don't realize that. Um, how much of a value... So Scott Engel said this to me when I interviewed him. He said, um, there's a lot of good fantasy football players, for example. Sorry. That's I okay. Just, I that's okay. Archie can bark away. That's okay. Me. That's okay. Um, but Scott Engel made the differentiation uh, during our interview, and I thought it was a good one. He said, um, there are great fantasy players. There are great DFS players, people who win money at it, people who always win the trophy oh, yeah. and things like that, who, are, who, when they tried becoming fantasy writers, were absolutely horrible at it. Because they can't write. Exactly. Because, yeah. And I was going to ask you, did, did you feel that our industry either had or has enough good writers as opposed to- Oh yeah, and analysts. I think there's more to be discovered every year, every day. You know, let's go to experts. First of all, there are no experts in fantasy sports. I don't care what anybody says. Right. Because um, if you're wrong 40% of the time and that's the best you can be, you're not really a true expert as industry uses the term right. where you got to be right 90% of the time. Right. Uh, Bob Harris coined the phrase. Do you know what an expert is? A former drip <laughs> expert. So I, I, that's always stuck with me. It's, so it took the pressure off me. I knew all I had to do was give my honest opinion of what I thought would happen. And I would use statistical analysis combined with coaching and strategy. Right. Um, I would also really hit the injury reports because if you have a key defensive player, say a defensive tackle, that's going to really impact the run game if he's out of the game. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to run against that defense if they have a second tier tackle. Right. Right. You you have a safety that's missing, an Ed Reed. Um, that's going to impact players going across the middle. Sure. People yeah. didn't throw across the middle on Baltimore. Why? Because Ed Reed would kill the receiver. Okay. So he goes down. You're going to have a lot of crossing patterns. Sure. Slot so, receivers get, get more action so at that I, point. Yeah. As to are there enough good writers? I haven't been in the industry in five or six years. So I haven't really followed the writers. I couldn't even tell you who the top three players in this year's draft are going to be. I, I think. I saw something that said Christian McCaffrey is number one. And I just, I don't understand that, but because um, he's always injured. And right. I would, right. I would never take a player with my first pick that's injured. Right. 
Um, but, um, you know, I think there's tons of people that can write. Now, the question is, what style do you as a reader do you want something that's dry and statistical? John, you're great for that. You really are. You have great statistical analysis that you explain extremely well, and you justify every prediction you make. Thank you. Okay? You have some writers that are just funny as hell. Sure. And and I can't remember the guy now, but there was one guy that I just, I loved his writing. Didn't think he was great at predictions, but I loved reading him. Well, because a lot of people say that was Matthew Berry initially. That he well, was well Matt writer. was that. Yeah. Matt was that. Uh, but I think Matt got better on the uh, analysis side later on. Right. But but yeah, we brought Matt into Fanix. I remember that. Now. Yeah. When we went to the 24 teams, I was able to bring all experts in. And that was mm. really a nice thing. And then there's people that try to combine them. Now, right. I am by nature not a funny guy. You know, I, I like to crack jokes and I like to have people laugh. Right. But when you put it on paper, it's a whole different world. Sure, sure. There are people that, Matt Barrett, that can just put something on paper from a perspective that you never thought of. Right. Now, whether it's right or not, doesn't really matter. Yeah, fantasy is about enjoyment. Right. And if you enjoy reading a guy that's wrong every time, read him, enjoy it, and bet against him. Well, that's the opposite of what he says. Literally, I believe that's what people used to say initially about Matt Berry, because, I mean, he had yeah. that experience uh, from television writing where he used to write yeah. uh, at, towards the end of Married with Children. He was a script editor. And yeah. um, you could see his initial writings when he was still talented Mr. Roto. He had a great sense of humor, a great he writing was, style. He was Wrong. a good guy, too. He was yeah. really a good guy. Who was the guy from Sporting News? You remember oh, who uh, I'm Brandon. Was it Brandon Funston at the time? No, Brandon was at He's Yahoo. at Yahoo now. Um, he was at Yahoo, and I think he might have been at, at Fox for a while. Oh, God, I can't think of who it was from Sporting News, but I loved his writing. Mm -hmm. I really did. And he had a great gig because he was with a national magazine full-time right. job. Right. So, you know, and you have – there's a lot of jealousy. There is. Oh, sure. In any job anywhere in the world. Um, but what I've found is that if you can, are they still doing fantasy football conferences in Vegas? Yeah, they are. Okay. So to all of your listeners, if only one time you can go to one of those, go to it. Number one, you're going to rub, rub uh, shoulders with the people who write mm -hmm. that you like. Number two, you're going to get a chance to network and get people Bob Harris, to this day, if I started fantasy today, I know I could pick up the phone, call Bob and say, hey, Bob, send me your cheat sheet. Said, I haven't followed fantasy in six years. I need to know what I'm looking right. at to get my feet wet again. Or I could call you. You guys would do it. You right, wouldn't absolutely. charge me for it. You just no. do it. Right. Name another industry where people would do that for somebody. You're right. And, some, and, and, and that's the part of the camaraderie that I actually do love. And the fact that a lot of writers came through sports grumblings, um, I'd like yeah. to think I treated them all well. You and were to one this of the originals, John. I, yeah, I you was, talk yeah. about me. You were one of the originals. Yeah, I did. And, 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 uh, uh, but more to me, it's more important that a lot of the guys that I don't want to use the word mentored, but coached maybe when, when it came to writing. Right, or actually, mentored is the right word. Okay. A lot of That's them what I tried to do when I'd have writers. 
I know you did. Yeah. You try to give them as much advice as you can. And, you know, if you're reading somebody's work, I always had people send me work and I'd read it and then I'd give it a critique, but I was always sure. honest. Yes. If it sucked, I was going to tell them it sucked. If, if the analysis I thought was faulty, I would tell them why I thought it was faulty. But then I would also, it's, it's kind of like anytime you give a negative criticism, you have got to give positive reinforcement yes. or it won't be taken. Right. And, and so I would always tell them, I said, so look, I'm saying this analysis is wrong. I'm wrong 40% of the time, at right. least. <laughs> so take what I say with a grain of salt. If right. you really believe this, stick with it. Don't exactly. change because I told you. To change. Yeah. But the way you phrase this, you might want to change so that it reaches a bigger audience. Exactly. You're not changing their predictions. You're just saying, here's the better way to deliver it. You know, here's a better way to deliver the message. Yeah. All right. Um, Let's start to wrap it up a little bit. I'm going to now hit you with our silly questions part of the program. Yeah, you told me about this. (laughs) So uh, let's start out with this. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? I think I know, but I'll ask you formally. Well, you're going to say Barry Sanders. I would think so. Yeah, and he he's one of them. I really love Barry. I loved his attitude toward the game. Football, he's definitely my favorite. Okay. But I think the greatest athlete of all time, Will Chamberlain. Okay. Will the man averaged Absolutely. 50 points a game for a year and scored 100 in a single game. And I don't want to hear about, well, the centers were shorter. He played against the competition that was on the court. Absolutely. And everybody else had the same opportunity. So I, I agree with you. Oh. In any sport, what's your favorite team that you like to root for? Well, see, Michigan Wolverines. Fair enough. Football and basketball. Um, I like Detroit uh, because I grew up in Michigan, but um, and that's baseball, basketball, and football. Right. I really loved the Bad Boys. The Pistons, And the yeah. Bad Boys were there. Yeah. And I really loved the Fab Five at Michigan and am ecstatic that Juwan Howard is coaching them Okay. That's a great answer. Um, of all the fantasy football predictions you ever made, which one do you consider to be your crowning? This was the best prediction I ever made. Oh, I can't think of the receiver's name now, but he was the number two wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. And um, uh, they were playing a team where one of the DBs got hurt. And so I knew they were going to, Role coverage to the number one wide receiver. Uh, I think it might have been Jake Reed at Jake the Reed, time. And they were going to roll yeah. to, I knew they were going to roll to Chris Carter. So I knew Reed was going to be single a lot. And Jake Reed had good talent. Oh, yeah, he did. And speed. Yes. And good speed. And I made a prediction that he was going to be the top receiver that week. Um, and he went off for over 200 yards that game. Oh, all right. And I think two touchdowns too. So that's probably the individual best single okay. prediction. Fantastic. But you know, when you do this for 10 years, there's a lot of predictions. Oh, absolutely. And somebody else probably considers something that helped their individual fantasy team right. win a better prediction. Yeah. Because they didn't why, have Jake Reed. Right. But that's why I kind of asked what you kind of felt, which is Jake Reed is a, is a good one. Uh, favorite movie of all time? Oh, jeez. It's genre, <laughs> you know, because whatever, I go whatever. to movies. Yeah, I, I generally go to movies every week, and before COVID, was seeing two or three a week. Um, I love the Marvel ones, but okay. I don't think they're as deep 
as uh, I thought Blazing Saddles was genius. Oh, Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, oh, that's a Richard Pryor written movie. So, and I, I thought Forrest Gump was probably Tom Hanks' best movie ever. Mm -hmm. um, although I thought the island stuff with Wilson was kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> It's it's hard to say. It really okay, is. Okay, but, I mean, but you kind of you kind of narrow. I've it seen down. I've seen um, uh, the Christmas one probably more than any other. It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, it came out every Christmas, and I'd watch it every Christmas. Sure, and it's if one you of those like a movie after <laughs> eight or ten viewings. You're not gonna watch it. Anymore. Exactly. Yeah, I've probably seen that movie over fifty times. I. I, I would think so. It comes on every holiday season. Uh, and I guess the new version of that is um, the one with the kid who, you know, Ralphie and all that. Christmas oh, story. Christmas story, right. I hated that one. I <laughs> oh, did. Oh, really? I did. I, I, well, BB gun, come on. Red Rider, <laughs> okay. BB gun, I mean, come on. It's, uh, I just, I thought the comedy was forced in it. And there's so many, I mean, Gene Wilder, Oh, what was the Bride of Frankenstein or something? Remember that one? Mm -hmm. There's black and white. Yep. In an era when nothing was black, was black and, white. and white. Yeah, it was a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. Wilder's a genius. He really is. Richard he was, Pryor's. Yeah. A, I, I was saying the other day on Twitter, actually, I got back on Twitter when mm. Elon put in a bid. Um, I was saying that it amazes me how much talent, intelligence, and quick wittedness you have to have to be a comedian. Oh, These people yeah. are insanely talented. I agree. I agree. I've always said I, I I have the sensibility of a comedian, but I don't have the talent of a comedian. I can never be that. Well, it's like singing. You sing yeah. songs, right? Oh, I, I I'm I'm one of the few people in the world that is clinically tone deaf. Well, see, I, I, but I you do sing, that. right? When a song I try comes to. Out, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I try to. So I make a joyful noise to the Lord, <laughs> and that's noise being the terminal operative phrase. word. Yeah. Right, but I love music. Yep. I picked up a guitar in college and tried to learn. Not enough dedication. You <laughs> got to work hard to become a good musician. Yes, absolutely. I I never worked that hard in my life. Using that as a segue, favorite musical artist or genre? Genre. Oh well, I'm a rock and roll guy. Um, I like some of the new country stuff, um, but it's more individual songs than mm. artists. Um, Led Zeppelin was always one of my favorites, but man. I grew up in the 50s and 60s. How can you choose anybody other than the Beatles? Okay. I mean, they had so much, so widely varied music mm. throughout their career. And then if you follow on, I just saw a thing about John Lennon and Paul McCartney from 1970 to 1980. And when they first split up, McCartney struggled for two or three years. Sure. Yeah. And Lennon had Imagine and several other big mm. hits. But then after 73, Lennon went down for a while. And McCartney had Wings, which was the hottest band in America. Right, right. So, right. but I've seen I've seen a bunch of concerts. I like Jason Mraz a lot. Guys, okay. he's a wordsmith. Um, I, I've seen Journey. I've mm. seen uh, probably the the best band that I've ever seen live. I saw Queen. I mean, oh, that's good. That's yeah. an amazing show. I saw sure. Paradise Theater tour, um, and uh, Styx was mm. very good. Tommy Shaw. Yeah. Oh, that guy's. I mean, David Young, everybody knows, but uh, Tommy, Tommy Shaw is, yeah. yeah. I mean, he looks like a 12 year old kid, too. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's a, 
there's so many talented sure. kids. It's hard to choose sure. one. I, I was I was hoping as a Detroit or a Michigan boy, you might say yes. Motown at some point, but oh well, I do like Motown, but I like I don't like rap. I, I hate gangster rap. Um, I don't like hip hop, but Shy Lights and, and uh, Temptations. Oh, Jackie Wilson and uh, oh, and all Sam those guys. Cook. Sam Cooke. Sam yeah, Cook. remember yeah. me? I'm from the '50s and '60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, I've I've always liked the old Motown, Smokey Robinson. Oh, sure, amazing yeah. talent. Yeah, yeah, and he's from Detroit, I think. Mm. Pretty sure. I mean, Barry Gordy, I've never liked too much, but he was more management size. I think he kind of ripped off some of those artists, those early artists. It seems to be. And I think a lot course, of people yeah. did on a yeah. lot of bands. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, uh, and Elvis, you can't forget Elvis. He's the king. Oh, uh, yeah. You can't forget him. Right. Yeah. Elvis. Absolutely. Um, okay. Greatest, in your opinion, the greatest president in U.S. history. Trump. I, I mean, people are going to hate that. Um, and I'll tell you why. I thought Trump was an asshole. Sorry for the language. I just thought he was a terrible person. But when you figure that both Republicans and Democrats were aligned against him, they impeached the guy two times. And one time was what Biden did, not what he did. Biden threatened to withhold a billion dollars in aid from if they didn't fire the prosecutor. All Trump said was investigate. You know, but I thought he, I mean, record low unemployment across the spectrum. That's for blacks, for Hispanics, for Asians. Record, uh, the, the inflation was low. I, I And he, the, the prison reform was the greatest single thing any president has ever done for Blacks because it took nonviolent criminals and let them out. Um, I, 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 I love Reagan, and I love the fact that, that um, Lincoln was, had enough integrity and courage to put the country through a, a war, a civil war to get rid of slavery, which is a stain on this country. But people people think slavery and Blacks. We enslaved, it was called indentured servitude, we enslaved Asians. Mm. We locked up Asians in World War II. Sure, yeah. yeah um, the, uh, put uh, them in camps. Internment so, camps, yeah. I mean, America has a very colorful history. We, we're not we're, we're the greatest country in the world. I really believe that. But we're not without our stains. And I, I think you got to go back to Washington, too. That man could have been president for life. He could have been king. He could have been king, yeah. And he chose not to. Yeah. That took tremendous moral fortitude. It, it, it did. Uh, it not, I don't think people area, appreciate it. Of, no. of the modern era, I think Trump slightly beats Reagan. Um and I think that's because Reagan, his last two years, had dementia. I mean, it was clear he had Alzheimer's or dementia. He, he just wasn't there. Okay. Um, and then to follow that up, who do you consider the worst president in history? Um, I thought Obama was bad. I, I think Calvin Coolidge was one of the worst. Uh, but I don't I, see, I don't consider Biden president because I don't think he's in charge. I mean, I know he holds the rank and I respect the title. But if you listen to the man speak, you know he's not there. And so I think there are people behind the scenes 
pulling pulling the levers. And so I don't consider him the worst president because I don't think he's really in charge. Um, I think Obama was very slick, but I think he did a lot to hurt the country. And I think both Bushes were pretty bad too. Uh, so, but I think maybe if you go back to Calvin Coolidge, I think he was he was pretty bad. But see, most people nowadays don't even know who Calvin Coolidge is. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and that and that's fine. I just wanted to see where your where your head was at. And no, see, I'm political. You know that. Uh, I know that. And then finally, is there any truth to the rumor that while you were at Fox Sports, a young Seth MacFarlane saw you in the hall one day and used you as the inspiration for Peter Griffin on The Family Guy? You know, that's been going around for. 15 years. And for people who don't know you as well as we did, you used to wear. Uh, and maybe you still do, you used to wear glasses that were very similar yeah. to the ones that uh, Peter Griffin wears. Um, oh, you got them on for us? Well, they're go. not the same. I used to have the what we called the Buddy Holly or right. the birth control glasses. <laughs> right. Um, and there were a lot of people, by the way, and I, I, I mean, I'm saying it good-naturedly, of course, but there were a I, lot of people who, who had that conspiracy theory. I, I worked at Fox from 2000 to 2001. Family Guy came out right after me. Mm. So a lot of people said that I wouldn't be able to pick Seth, Farland, <laughs> Seth McFarland out of a lineup. Fair I mean, enough. I know who the guy is when I see him on TV right. with his name tag. <laughs> I know who he is. But no, there's no truth to that rumor that I'm aware of. You have to ask Seth. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Greg, listen, it's been a great time. And listen, before you say another word, I'm going to get this out because uh I allowed politics, as people know, I'm a, I'm a political junkie as well. I allowed politics to infringe on our friendship the past couple of years. Um, you, I have to tell you, Greg, you've been nothing but a gentleman to me. Uh, I can never, ever, ever make the claim that you did anything untoward towards me or said anything negative about me. That's not it. It was all on me. Um, I John, allowed, a lot of people had TDS. I, I understand. Still I, I still, still do. do. A lot of by, the, by the way. Trump. By the way, I still don't like Trump, but well, and that's understandable. He's yeah. an asshole. He really right. is. Right. Uh, but, but I just I, look at results. I'm more results oriented. That's and fair if enough. You look, if you look without any lens of hate at what was accomplished during his term, and at the, I mean, the media hated him. Everybody hated him. Um, he accomplished a lot. Like it well, or not, he did accomplish. Well, I, I don't even want to get into that. I just wanted to officially in front of you the world. You didn't do anything wrong, John. You I, never I, did I, anything I, to hurt. Nothing. I I understand that, but at the at the same time, I had that in my heart and my soul where I I stopped talking to you for a while, uh, uh, because I said I can't believe Greg is on board with this guy. You know, it was the, <laughs> to myself, not to you. You know, so no, no. I and I I'm so happy. I'm so happy that when I did finally call you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, at, at, I'm being honest, at Williams urging, he said, you know, what's up with, you know, if you could put up with me, you could put up with Greg, you know, and um, I said, let me call William Greg. Del William Del Pilar, yeah. Um, he was actually trying to help me go to Panama. Mm. He's got a, a cousin, I think, that's a, an attorney down in, in Panama right. City. He still has and family we there, looking yeah. at Panama, it was just more expensive than I wanted to spend mm. to go to Central America. Yeah. But He's a good guy. He He's is. a very good guy. And 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 was I had hot off the wire his column for Well, KFFL years? was his. All of all of the well, he started the him, site. Him and, and that guy from the UK. Ryan. 
Ryan, Ryan Benini, yeah. yeah. But it was definitely William's baby, and he did come up with Hard Off the Wire. He's he's definitely an industry. That was uh, a column that was a must read. Back absolutely, in our day. absolutely. I, again, people don't give it enough credit that he basically invented that format of news feeds and player news. But I just want to apologize for, to you in front of everybody. I know you said it's not necessary, but I feel it's necessary. Um, and I want to let it stand as a cautionary tale to others, you know, to not okay, well, allow politics to get in between friends. Stay in touch. And wherever we go in the world, hop a plane, you got a place to stay. Oh, I appreciate that. You know that. And the same is here, um, uh, especially if you ever cross in New York or your family's in New York, please let me know. My family's and in New York right, right now. Right now. Yeah, I, I heard but that. But they're I'm flying out. Their flights at eight o'clock. So oh, I don't have time to go see Barcelona them. for a cruise, baby. They're doing they, a sea cruise. They're they're doing the right thing. Uh, but uh, Greg, it was great talking to you. I'm so happy we got the chance to talk. And uh, soon enough, let's have you, you back. You still on. in the city? No, I had to move out to the suburbs. Well, good because I was going to say stay safe. The yeah, it's crazy. The now, city's yeah. kind of going downhill. Yeah, well, it's a cycle back to the 70s, and anyone who's been here long enough. Any Giuliani it. back. You might hate him, but man, he cleaned it up. When he was mayor, he was good, but now he's lost his mind. I mean, I. Yeah, I, I most up. Republicans have lost their mind, John. Most mm. Democrats have lost their mind. I, I don't. Uh, I don't politics disagree. does that to people. Yeah. I mean, I, Matt Gates posted something on Twitter, and I says, he, you know, he was saying, you know, we need to do this or that. But I said, why are you complaining about something? Do something about it. Mm -hmm. I said, don't tell me that you can't do something because you're in the minority, because you're you're paid to lead. If right. you can't do something from the minority, you don't deserve to be in the majority. And I feel that about every politician. Don't complain about something. Do something. Get it done. Yeah, do something. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Greg, this was fantastic. Like I said, everyone, Greg Kellogg, OG in the fantasy industry, uh, inaugural. You got to tell me what Hall that means. Famer. I don't know what. OG, original gangster. Oh, <laughs> it's a hip hop yeah, term. I'm gangster. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, I won't use OG, but he's one of the industry founders, one of the industry giants, and rightly so. Uh, the first, uh, one of the first in the class of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association Hall of Fame. I've knocked out two of that class, uh, Scotty, and now you. And uh, maybe one day I'll join you in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Matt, God willing. I think but Matt was in the Hall. Matt was in it, and in I believe, first one. Uh, and maybe even um, there used to be a big site. Fanex used to have a big yeah. thing on their webpage that said who was in it that first class. You're not in the hall yet. No, I that's got a crime. I got nominated once, and that was it. Like I think initially I got nominated. Well, now it's all. Um, I don't expect to get nominated, to be honest with you again, because now it's all um, major media, major media guys, for the most part. So if you're not with affiliated, there weren't that many major media guys back then. Exactly. I got in the hall before Fox. Before yes. Fox. Yes. Well, you deserved it. So did Scotty and and uh, Matt Berry, certainly. Uh, did Bob make the hall? Bob Harris? Yeah, I think so. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think he's so. one that I, I know. I think Adam Kaplan was nominated once, but Sam wasn't, which surprised me because it was Sam's site. Mm. I think Adam was the more reasonable of the two guys. I mean, I like Sam well enough, but he did upset people. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think Adam ever upset anybody. 
Yeah. Well, I, it, what's funny is I sit on the board of directors of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association, but I, I, even I don't know what the process is for getting people into the Hall of Fame. Like, if you told me, how do you nominate someone for the Hall? I have absolutely no clue. Used to be a member could nominate somebody. Mm. If, and since you're on the board, I'm not involved anymore, but I'm still a member of the Hall. Mm. I'm nominating you right now. Oh, wow. I'm nominating you. you right now. You've been there since the beginning, John. If anybody deserves it, you do. Well, thank you very so much. If, if, if a member can nominate someone, you make sure to show this tape to people because I am nominating you. I'm serious about that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I know you are serious. But all right, Greg, uh, Greg again, thank you very much. And uh, to everyone out there. Glad you joined us for the Big Questions with Big John. Join me again next week when I'll have another interesting guest to interview. And uh, definitely thank you, Greg, for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.